Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Bible and Me podcast. In this episode, Nigel Watts talks to the pastor of Lowick Baptist Church in the Shetland Islands and former representative to Arab World Ministries, Pete Dale, about his journey from coal miner to a pastoral role in the Middle East and much, much more. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals speaking and may not represent the views of Precept Ministries UK. We hope and pray that this podcast will bless you in your walk of faith. If it does, leave us a rating or review and subscribe for more podcasts every Friday. And now, without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, I am delighted to welcome uh, Pete Dale to the Bible and Me podcast today. Pete has recently taken over as the pastor of Lerwick Baptist Church, way up north in the Shetland Islands and has in his life as a believer been used by God mightily in many different parts of the world. He's been a church, um, in church leadership in the Middle East. He has worked for Arab World Ministries. He's been both a rugby league and also a prison chaplain, and in his early life was a coal miner. Uh, Peter's married to Ruth. They have a son, Luke, and a daughter, Leah. And Pete, uh, welcome to the programme. Thank you. It's great to see you. Uh, Pete, how did you become a follower of Jesus? And why do you follow him? My journey started as uh, a young lad, um, 21 years old. Um, never really believed in God at all. I'll, I'll, I'll just talk to you a little bit about my, my upbringing. I um my family were great, um, not Christian, but but lived the Christian principles. So my, my home were very loving, very caring. Um, I'm the oldest one of, of four, so a brother and two sisters, and uh, brought up in a, in a coal mining um, community. So li- life for me growing up, um, it was kind of rough, really, in a mining community. And um, so part, life... What part of the UK was that? Sorry, that were in a place called Castleford, which is, I don't know if you know where that is, but it's very the Pontefract, it's not far from Leeds, so it's okay. like a West Yorkshire area. Um, my mum and dad actually thought they were Christians um, because they believed in God and they, you know, they, they were well respected in, com- in community. Um, for me, life as a young coal miner um, was rugby and going out and having a great time and... Uh, and enjoying work, so I that yeah I kind of I grew up in that in that sort of atmosphere, um, and God wasn't part of that. Um, just really quickly, I'll, I'll tell you about mum. Mum became a Christian first, and that really affected all of our house. But then for dad to become a Christian, you see, dad was a guy who was very well respected in community. Was he a coal miner as well? No, no, my dad was actually an engineer. Okay, and he worked in Pontefract. Um, but Dad was one of those guys that he could sort out any problem, any situation. Well respected in community, um, thought he was a Christian. Nobody could tell him that he was a dirty, rotten sinner type of guy, and he needed God. And uh, but when Dad became a Christian, I thought there's nobody can pull the wool over my Dad's eyes. And uh, and so our house changed, um, yeah, in, in a big way. Um, How did it change? I, I think the, the peace, the, the love, the um, I could see Jesus in my mum and dad. And um, so for, for me, I, I gave my parents a hard time 
because I wanted to see just how how real this all was. At the same time, not not really understanding that God were working on me, because I think looking back, I had two big problems. Number one, if God, if you're real, then how can you love me? Because um, I didn't think I were kind of lovable if there were a God. Number two, if you are real, how on earth can you forgive me? Because I'd been up to all kinds of stuff, experimenting as a young teenager. And uh, and so looking back, just two years prior me becoming a Christian, um, God was working on me. And I, I came to know the Lord on the 21st of December, 1984, at 1.30 in the morning, my Christmas times were a boozing time. It was a, a time going out with the guys and kind of living life to the full. Um, but it were it was there. I'd been to a, a, a church meeting, a kind of gospel outreach, and God really spoke to me there. And I thought, I don't I don't need to talk to anybody. This was between me and God. I already knew that he were real through my parents for the last few years. But I really wrestled with them two issues, being loved by God and being forgiven by God. And then this night, I, for the first time, I understood the cross, I understood Jesus, and I wanted what he was offering. So at half past one in the morning, I'd never prayed in my life. And I just said, Lord, if you love me that much and if you can forgive me, and I, I need you, I want you in my life. I I want you to come into my life. And I I kind of repented and uh, and asked Jesus into my life. Nigel, I'm not joking. I was jumping around at half past one in the morning like a, a spring lamb because I'm not into flashing lights and all in, uh, in, in that dilly-dally stuff that I call. But but God became very real to me. And I, I knew I'd been forgiven. And I knew that I knew him. And, and I knew within me I was completely different. I didn't sleep. I was were, I were excited, I was crying, and at past seven in the morning, I was walking upstairs to bed, to go to bed. <laughs> my dad was coming downstairs to come to work. What now, are you doing, now, me, son? me and my dad, you know, that, we lived in that society and community where you don't embrace, you don't, you don't, you don't shake hands, you don't, you, we don't do that. And my dad looked at me and he said, at last, he says, I can stop praying for you. And we embraced on the stairs and... And I said, Dad, I just, I can't, I just can't believe this. And uh, and so our our home became very different. So I went, I was still coal mining at this time, but I went back to that coal mine, a completely different bloke. And the guys down the mine, they just, they thought I were on a wind up. They thought oh, this was just yeah, something had gone wrong with me. Um, I'd, I'd been, I got trapped in a cult, but um, that's where God taught me to being an evangelist too. So I worked in my first mine was Fryston Colliery and I worked with 1,500 men. And I remember going underground and God really speaking to me, things were changing in my life, um, my appetites, my desires, um, different friends, you know, church became really important to me. And, uh, and I remember being underground and I got faced with a question is, Pete, are you gonna be a wimp or are you gonna be a warrior? Are you going to witness for me? Are you going to Are you going to keep your mouth closed? You sense the Lord saying that to you. Absolutely. Do you know something, Nigel? I wanted everybody to know about God. I wanted everybody to know about this Jesus because I'd been blind and I'd lived a life without Him, 
And all of a sudden now I'm living life with him and I just wanted all my mates, every coal miner to, to know Christ, to know that he's alive and, and I felt alive. And uh, wow. how, so I... How, was, how were you received down there? You started sharing about Jesus. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I don't want to go into too much detail, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I kind of, what people would call a hard time, to me, I felt blessed. To me, being persecuted and... Um, see, I was I I popular as a coal miner, you know, playing rugby, boozing, all that kind of stuff. Um, we did life together. And then all of a sudden now, I'm, I'm a Christian who, um, I don't do this anymore and I don't do that anymore. Um, and so there were a lot of goading, if you like, a lot of um, provoking to to do things and to say things. And now it, it I loved it. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. I were, uh, because now I'd... I'd I knew Jesus, I, I knew God, I, I knew his spirit and there was nothing could, that could even begin to compare with, with this. And um, So I, yeah, I just became an evangelist underground. It, it was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So you were actually a coal miner for seven years uh, yeah. uh, and then you uh, became a businessman in, in ladies' fashion wear and then you went to Faith Mission Bible College in Edinburgh in the early 90s. Now, so how do you go from being a coal miner to a businessman to going to Bible okay. College? <laughs> Just after the strike, because I went through the miners' strike too. So it may be two, two years after the miners' strike, um, I, sense, I sense God speaking to me about it's, it's time to move on from here. So in my heart, I wanted, they're only me really as a, as a, as a true Christian. Um, you know, living underground with all the coal miners. And I wanted to stay there. I wanted to be a witness for God. But God was leading me out. And that were, that was quite miraculous in how things set up. Because even after a few years, I had three shops, I had three market stalls. Um, I went into wholesaling. This is quite funny, really, because I was selling ladies' fashions. So, you know, from a picking a shovel to a size 12, do you know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> You want a massive difference, um, but I love being in business. I really love... got a hard time from the coal miners for that, I'm sure. Yeah, well, to be honest, just after miners' strike, I think a lot of guys were either taking early retirement or they wanted to get out themselves because, um, yeah, the coal mining industry uh, it, it were on its last legs really. So people were looking for a way out, and by then I had left the mine and I'd started a business. I started on a market stall, and. Uh, I used to sell Marks and Spencers, what they call seconds then, but it was just really surplus stock. So I had Peruna, I had M&S, I had Principles, and um, I just loved being around people. Um, opportunities with businessmen, so, you know, talking about Jesus on a market stall, in my shops, everybody knew that I was a Christian and... Uh, Again, I just had a, I just had a great time. So, and God blessed me in business. Um, but after, after four or five years, um, I became a part-time evangelist at Leeds called Leeds City Mission. And uh, where we were going to prisons, we'd be um, taking meetings, we'd be speaking at Middle Street, and um, it was just really like power evangelism at that time. And at the same time sensing God calling me to a time of preparation. Um, 
And do you know something? I was just so in love with him. I, I didn't care where it was. I didn't care where I went. I just wanted to follow him and do whatever he was calling me to do. So the, my business grew. I had a great time in business, um, uh, knowing how to barter, how to sell, how to um, just developing friendships, you know, with people. And I, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and then God led us to sell my business. I sold my shops. I sold two shops. And one shop I gave to my parents and the other shop I gave to my in-laws. And then we set out to Bible college. The interesting thing is that when I worked at Leeds City Mission, I met a couple of guys there who, they just radiated God. And I, I love spending time with them. One of them was um, a missioner in Leeds. He was born and bred in Leeds, called him Paddy Flynn. And he was an out-and-out -out evangelist. The other guy was called Eric Birkinshaw, who used to be a missionary in Peshawar in Pakistan years ago. And he, once, he said to me after six months uh, while I worked in Leeds, he said, Pete, why do you think God's called you here? And I said, I love God and I, I, I feel like I'm an evangelist and I care for people and uh, I just want to tell people about Jesus, really. And then he turned around to me and he said, that's great. He says, but I, I think God's calling you to Bible college. And you know when you can go off people really quickly? And I, I said to Eric, I said, Eric, I... You're no longer my friend. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, you can... I, and I thought, wow, where, where did that come from? And I began to really pray about that. And that's through that, God actually um, led me to, to Bible college. But it was very specific because I remember at, at my church, my local church in Castleford, we were going through the book of Acts. And I remember one of the weekends... We were doing an open air, you know, when you're kind of street preaching. And I gave my testimony in my hometown of Castleford. And uh, and I knew everybody who were listening and who were stood watching. And again, one of them times where I felt really, really blessed. I got in my car and I'm driving home after this open air. And all of a sudden, a verse shot into my mind from the book of Acts. And it was Acts chapter 9. And this is the verse that the, the God, the Holy Spirit, kind of just kind of slapped me with this. And it said, go into the city and there you'll be told what you must do. And here we've got old Eric saying to me, Pete, I really believe God's calling you to Bible college. And that was so clear. And a few weeks after that, I met up with Eric Birkinshaw, who was in Leeds. And I said to him, how did you know? I said, how, how did you know? I said, because God's confirmed all this to me. And he said, Pete, he said, when you've walked with the Lord as long as I have, you get to know his voice. And I thought, wow, that's what I want. I want to walk with your Lord like that. So God confirmed Bible college for me, Ruth and Luke at that time. And we left Yorkshire and ended up in Edinburgh. And we did uh, two years at Faith Mission. Fantastic. Now, I would not think that being a pastor of a church in the Middle East is the first place that comes to people's minds uh, to go and be a pastor. What was it like being a church leader in the Middle East? Because that's, that's different. That is different, isn't it, from, from your average? It is, but I, to be honest, I, I didn't really think like that. I just wanted to be where God wanted me to be. I wanted to do what they were calling me to do. And uh, to be honest, in the back of my mind, I thought we were going to go to Edinburgh, be have that opportunity to train. And, and to be honest, it's not just 
the academic, it's somewhere where God gets you alone. You can't escape and he, and he, he deals with things in your life. And he, it's not just the preparation side. It's, it's like getting to a place of total abandonment to God. And um, yeah, so it, Bible college were a special two year. We're very stretching and uh, it's somewhere where God gets you alone. Beautiful time, really. And, um, but I actually thought in the back of my mind that I'm going to go here, I'm going to get some more, I'm going to get trained and I'm going to come back into Leeds. It's yeah, just that yeah. God didn't tell me about Dubai. I didn't even know where Dubai was. I've never even heard of Dubai. <laughs> and so when, um, when all this came about, um, I remember we got some friends in Dubai who were part of the church and they wanted me to go out as the youth pastor. And I remember getting these forms we received them while we were in Bible college. And to be honest, I just put them in the bottom drawer. I just put them out away. And then the principal of the Bible college, Mr. Colin Peckham, heard that um, we got these forms. And he came to see me and he looked at these forms and he looked at me and he said, man, he said, this is for you, man. This is, this is yours. God is calling you here. So I just very quickly showed him the door and said, thank you very much. And... I just said, Lord, you're going to have to speak to me about this. You're going to have to really confirm this to me, that this is the right place to go. Um, and over that over that three-month period, I just left it with God. Um, and this was um, at the end of our two-year, the night before our graduation, I remember we were watching TV um, and the TV was just full of rubbish. So I turned it off and I thought, I'll read Ezekiel. I'll just start reading Ezekiel. Now, that's a big book to start reading when you're leaving college. Maybe I should have read something like Jude. But anyway, I read chapter one, chapter two. Chapter three, this is what it said. And it's one of those, and I'm reading God's word and God speaks to me. Just like he does to you and, and other people. But I came across these words and it says this: these words. I am sending you to a strange land, but not of a strange language. But I am sending you to a rebellious house. And, I, and all of a sudden I thought, oh my word. I knew at that time that Dubai were, it just started, the English language were common. So it wasn't a strange language. But I'm sending you to a rebellious house, which I would, thought you were talking about Islam. But when I kind of got out there, I realised it was the church. And I knew that God was confirming this to me that Dubai were the place that I would go. And so God's word was confirming. Absolutely, confirmed it big time for me. It one of those things where I didn't, I didn't want to make God's word work for how I think it should. I just prayed, left it with the Lord, and these bolts out of the blue just sealed things. Funny enough, when we went out for, for our interview, which was a seven-day interview, um... We, I think we were the only one, or I was the only pastor who had ever been voted in unanimously into this church. Well, God had already confirmed it to me that this, this was the place. This church was 45 nationalities. We had seven denominations in it. And it was just a minefield when I landed. Because every denomination wanted its own way. Um, the um, denominations weren't really getting on. And, and obviously culture too. So by God's grace, you know, we, we, we had a lot to do. But do you know something, Nigel? Them four years, it were like 20 years crammed into four. <laughs> I, it was like a massive acceleration of learning 
what church is all about. And God really blessed us there. We had a fantastic time. And uh, right at the end of that, again, because that was really my first church. Before that, I did a lot of lay preaching. But, but as a pastor, I, I actually burnt out in Dubai and it took me two years to recover. Mm. But it was so worth even that. Mm. Because the church now, when I look at the church in the Middle East and I see what it is and I see what, what it's accomplishing through God's spirit, it's just mind-blowing. Yeah, and even through my burnout, I learned such a lot. Mm. I really did. It, it was a tough time. Mm. Um, you, came, you first came across uh, Precept Ministries in Dubai. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so we were introduced to Precepts that were back in 1996. Yeah. That's the way you first heard Precepts. That, that was the year we got involved as well. Is that really? Yeah. All right. I didn't know yeah. that. Um, you you um, you actually went to work with Arab World Ministries, and I can tell just talking to you, looking to your eyes, you've got a real heart for the Middle East still. I can see that. Uh, you, you worked for Arab World Ministries, and then you were a church leader in Bradford in West Yorkshire, and you also became a rugby league chaplain. So my question is, how, <laughs> how receptive were the players, the rugby league players, to Jesus and the Bible, you being a chaplain? Okay. Let me just uh, share with you just a bit of a thread from the Middle East. We came back into the UK. I'd worked two years over, uh, over my contract and uh, we knew that God was leading us back into our home area of Yorkshire. So that's why we came back into, um, into the UK, worked for Arab World Ministries because the Middle East was still in my blood. Worked with them for two years and again we had a great time. Then really sensed God calling us back into Yorkshire. So I became uh, one of the pastors of Sunbridge Road Mission which was a centre church, really, uh, in the middle of Bradford. And we were there for seven years. But during that time, I became um, the chaplain to Rugby Super League. Um, I've always played rugby. Um, rugby's always been part of my life. And um, it's always been rugby league. I actually started playing when we were in Dubai, and I started playing rugby union. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I really enjoyed the time. Um, but So we came back, and, yeah, I... Uh, I remember being interviewed by Brian Noble, who's a, a really well-known coach um, in the rugby league world. And uh, he asked me if I would be the chaplain to Bradford Bulls, Bradford Bulls Super League Club, um, so, which I really, really enjoyed. And then I became responsible for getting chaplains into every rugby Super League club at that time. So I were, I were chaplain to Bradford Bulls mainly for five years. And funny enough, we were world champions three times during Never. during that time. Never, and a lot of people oh. used to, they used to say, because I was still being pastor of the church too, or one of the pastors. It's just that the church then released me to, to, to do this. And people used to say to me, well, what, what is the difference? And, and to be honest, the only difference is, is you're actually pastoring the unchurched. That's the difference. So I'm, I'm, I'm there serving as a chaplain primarily to release the coaches to do their jobs because some of these guys, you know, they're under a lot of pressure with media. Um, like we used to teach them life skills because how to handle death, how do I handle injury? How do I handle money? How do I, how do I handle things? So the, the chaplain had quite a lot of clout as, you know, within the club. But mainly I were there to release Brian and the other coaches to do what they're paid to do because back then, you know, when, when guys would 
be out fighting and stuff and then the coaches would they'd actually be like an agony aunt they'd, they'd be there to support the lads yeah. and um it were it were just turning into more of a professional game you know where the guys would be a um, a mentor so it, it, everything since then has really improved over the years you know when you watch it on tv it's what a fantastic game to watch now you know it's just it's brilliant where most of these guys now are going around schools and, and mentoring but but then you know some of the coaches had a lot of work to do with, with with the guys family issues personal problems so the chaplain came in mainly to relieve um and i wasn't really there in a in a as an evangelist but what happened was is that the way that i lived my life provoked other people to ask and so the way that i evangelized what is when they ask questions and i had a lot of questions from from the guys um some of the guys coming in from new zealand australia you know the they'd be living outside of the beach with their family and all of a sudden you know the um the move had come from one rugby club to another they'd end up in bradford's it's like how how, how on earth do i cope with this move you know from from australia to to the middle of bradford and so i spent time building relationships with with these guys and the and the families and the kids. So you could then speak into their lives. And that's what chaplaincy were, were really all about. It was there to support, it was there to love, it was there to guide. So you were there pastoring the unchurched, mm. but they also knew that you were a pastor of the church. Yeah. And that's exactly the same in prison. Yeah. You know that you're there to love, you're there to care in, in a professional way. And, and the way that you used to talk about Jesus is when they used to say, hey Rev, you know what's what do you believe about God? Because I, I used to have a great time. I really, I really love that. Yeah, fantastic. You left Bradford and you went to the uh, Channel Islands, Guernsey, and you were a pastor there for five years and uh, prison chaplain uh, as well. And uh, in the summer of 2017, you came to be the pastor of Lowick Baptist Church in the Shetland Islands. Mm. Just briefly, why the Shetland Islands? That's a good question. Um, my wife's always anchored here to come. She's always wanted to come to Shetland Islands. And I always said, why on earth do you want to come here? It's freezing, there's no trees, there's no... We do, we do big cities, we don't do islands, not as small as this. And uh, so to me, it's always been somewhere in the middle of nowhere, stuck between Norway and Iceland, and who, who wants to be right up there? So I've never even considered Shetland. I didn't even consider an island, to be honest. But when we left uh, Bradford and God led us to Guernsey, I mean, that was a smaller island but with a bigger population. And uh, we had a good five years there, a pastor in a church and prison chaplain. Um, came back into Bradford because they only give you a five-year licence on, um, on in the Channel Islands anyway. So we came back and then I said, God, what do you want us to do? And he pointed to the Shetlands um, and I wrestled with that, Nigel, to be honest. I thought, why on earth? Do, why, why here? There's nobody here. Um, it's too small for me. So I'm kind of, yeah, arguing in a way with God. Because um, I thought it's too small for me. Um, but do you know, God, just like he's done before, when he confirms, when he confirms his way and he guides and he speaks to you through his word and, and this 
oh man, the way that he confirmed this were incredible. And now we've, we've been here for five months and it's just beautiful. I mean, I love the church, I love the people, I love the culture, I, I love the island. And, you know, when I look back and I think I'm arguing here of even considering coming, and now I'm here, I don't want to be anywhere else. It's uh, You've even got killer whales out in there. Yeah, there's orcas here, there's unback whales here. It's uh, it's a it's a beautiful place. Um, I believe that God's has His hand upon in the, on, upon this place for mm. quite some time. So I think we're living in a quite an exciting season, really. Yeah, wonderful. Now, obviously, being a pastor and, and a chaplain, as you have been over many years, you will have done a lot of teaching, a lot of preaching. Um, I want to move on now and talk about the Bible and uh, why why is the Bible important to you? There may be people listening to the program thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. But why is the Bible, what is it about the Bible that is so important to okay. you? I suppose when I look back, I, you know, from being a young kid, going up to the age of 20, I never even touched the Bible. Um, because at one point I used to, I used to think that people who read the Bible were weaklings, they couldn't, they couldn't do life. Um, they used it as a crutch all that kind of stuff. So to me, I remember smoking part of it, to be honest, when I used to be a naughty boy. Um, I've never few, heard that one before. No, well, I, maybe a few pages out of Matthew. Um, <laughs> so to me, Bible were just a religious book for for freaks. I'm just being really honest here. Yeah, sure. It's all like, what? Why, why can't you why can't you be manly enough, especially thinking about men, to do life without having to read a, a religious book? Um, when I became a Christian, the Bible became a really precious thing to me because it it became alive. God began to speak to me through that. He began to counsel me. He began to guide me. He began to show me things. And and so when I began to really get into this. I, it, it was as though I wanted to make up time. I, I wanted to be every conference, every Bible study, every prayer meeting. I was hungry for God, and and God began to speak to me through this, through this word, um, and by His Spirit. So, you know, and wherever I've been, wherever God's led us, is He spoke through His word, and so to me, it's it's precious, it's real. Um, God says that his word is living, it's alive, it's, it's got its own authority and power and, and he's allowing me to drink this into my life. Um, I love it. So if there was somebody listening to this podcast, uh -huh. thinking to themselves, I, I want God to speak to me, I don't hear God speaking to me, what would you say to them? I would say just get into God's word. Spend time with other people in God's word. Um, and God will, he's promised to speak to us. When, we, when we're reading it, when we're studying on it, when we're meditating on it, just, just to be, even ask God to develop a hunger for him. Show me, Lord, through your word. Mm. Um, things, that, things that Jesus said, things like, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. So there's, God develops faith through his word, everything through his word. It's, mm. And because it's living and it's active, mm. Um, mm. wow, it's... Well, you've used precept um, and the studies of precept uh, 
um, in your churches where you've been. Why do you think um, what you're doing with the inductive study method? Why is, why, how have you seen that helpful in, in, in the churches you've been involved with and in some of the situations you've been involved in? I know Ruth, your delightful wife Ruth, has, has been very involved as well and there's been a lot of fruit. Why do you think that is helpful to people? The Bible can be studied in, in, in many different ways um, and it can be looked upon in, in many different ways. What I, what I love about precepts and, and the, way that it's, the way that it's written, the way that it's organised, the way that it comes over is it just helps you to keep in context. Uh, so we, different people have got different ways of, of, of looking at things in the Bible. The, we can go off on tangents at times. And what I've loved about precepts, right from Dubai, bringing it into Bradford, even bringing it into Guernsey, is number one, it slows people down. Number two, we, we study it together as a, as, as a group. And the way that precepts begins to ask questions, the way that it's written, I've always found it really helpful to keep people focused on, 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 on the text, keeping its text in its context. So we, mm. we can't go off on stuff. And, and that's what I really love, you know, uh, about precept. It's quite powerful. Um, in, in, some, in some studies we, that, I've, that I've been in over the years, some of them have been very good. Um, but we'll often find that we can either go off on pet themes or we can go off on tangents and we can go off on this and we can go off on that. But again, with precepts, it's it's just solid, yeah. um, and it brings a, a a continuity in it, and it makes people think. Um, and the other thing as well is that I found a lot of people that it, it helps people catch things. It becomes theirs. Um, you're not just being told; you're actually being taught. Mm. Um, mm. And. One of the things, as we were sharing uh, yesterday or so, you talk about um, you've seen leaders being raised up yes. through this yeah, as well. Absolutely. And I'm sure a lot of churches, church leaders yeah. maybe, you know, they want to raise up leaders, they want to empower people. Yeah. And I know that um, certainly thinking back to some of the times that you were at Sunbridge Road Mission and uh, you guys put a tremendous video together of uh, about the ministry there and uh, seeing the leaders and the comments was just just fantastic. Yeah. It, was, it was a beautiful picture of the church all ages, wasn't it? All Absolutely. The young guys, yeah, all the young guys. to old, yeah. Some have been Christians a long time. Yeah, yeah. But, but actively engaged. My, um, my ministry as a pastor, it's a bit like Ephesians 4. It's equipping, it's it's releasing. Um, it, 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 I'd love to see people restored and revived. And and so seeing, seeing people released through precepts um, as, as we dig deeper and quite smart, really, into God's word... Um, yeah, we've seen couples rise up from actually sat in church at one point in their life, frightened to say anything, not being confident to say anything, all of a sudden now actually leading Bible study groups through precepts who have become fantastic teachers. And I love that. I love to see people be who God says they are. And and that comes through study, that comes through, mm. you know, the word of God. That, and so I, I think, that, again, with, with the precept style, um, yeah, I, I have seen it over the years be an incredible tool used by God to 
make leaders and, and to release people into being leaders. Wonderful. Now, being a pastor, you, you'll know the Bible well. Um, so <laughs> my next question is, do you have, do you have a favourite Bible book at all? Would you be able to sort of say, well, that one, I know probably they're all favourites of yours, oh, but do you, do you have a particular favourite or favourites? I, I have got a few. I love the book of Job. Um, oh, I've never had that before. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love the book of Job. I think it actually, it was the first book written. It wasn't Genesis, I think Job was the first one. Um, so a lot of books have been really dear to me over the years, but the one that stands out for me is the book of Colossians. Um, the book of Colossians, to me, speak, it's not just the supremacy of Jesus, but it's, it's our identity in him. And I think we're losing a sense of that today. Um, I once heard a guy pray years ago, and I've never, never forgot it, and he said, Lord, I pray that you'd help, you'd make me into the person that you say that I already am. Wow, and that, that, that's a simple prayer, but it's quite profound. Mm. Not help me to be um, who you want me to be, but who you say that I am. And so for me, Colossians, because of the, it kind of, highlights and portrays Jesus being so supreme above everybody and anything and that I'm found in him. My identity is in him. So that's why I love Colossians. It's a beautiful, powerful book. Mm. I, I love it. Mm. There's lovely verses out there in Colossians 1 about um, he is the image of the, the invisible, invisible God. God. And I, I remember yeah. some time ago thinking, um, you know, because people think, well, who is God? And how do I find out about God? And and, uh, and actually, I, I remember it was back in sort of 89, 1990 myself, um, thinking, oh, my goodness me, it was a revelation. Jesus was God yeah. as a man. Yeah. I mean, you know, you would have thought that's, that's obvious. I mean, everybody knows that. But actually... Not everybody does know that. No. And so if we want to know about God, That's right. we've, got to, we've got to look at Jesus. Yeah. And then, of course, how he treated people, yeah. how he cared for people, all across all the strata of society. The whole revelation of God in Christ. And, yeah, and then who we are in him. In him. Amazing. It don't get much better than that. No, fantastic. Now, do you, what about a favourite Bible character? So you've got a book. Oh, I can, I can tell you all that is straight away. It's the life, life of Caleb. Caleb is my favourite Bible <laughs> character. It mentions oh, yeah. in 10 verses, but in six of them verses, it says that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. Caleb stands out to me as, he's not an Abraham, he's not a Moses, he's not some great leader. Um, he's, he's not like the Apostle Paul, he's not a Peter. He's just a common man, but what a guy. You know, in his, in his, mm. sorry, go on. No, 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 you carry on. I mean, he was one of the 12 that went into the land. That's and, right. No, you carry on. You carry so on. He, was, he, was, he was chosen a young man, 40 years old, at Kadesh Barnea to go and spy out the land. As a young man, even in his middle age, wandering through the, the wilderness, even into his old age, he wholly followed the Lord. And he gets to 85 years old and he comes out of the wilderness and says, I'm just as strong as I was years ago. And what I love about Caleb, through difficulties, discouragements, opposition, he wholly followed the Lord. This is what I love about him, Nigel. To me, he speak, he's like a tonic. I don't have to be some great leader like Moses. I can just be an ordinary man 
with an extraordinary faith who wholly follows God. Because what we do in our, in our culture, we say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not like a, you know, I'm not like a pastor and I'm not a great evangelist. And so we excuse living the life that God wants us to live. That's what I love about Caleb. Do you know something? He was the only one who fully drove the enemy out of his land. All the other tribes had to share their land with the enemy. Caleb, not a chance. <laughs> get out, get off my land. And it, Which is what God had told him to do. God, God had, had, had enabled him to do that, but his consecration to God was second to none. And it says that God gave Caleb Hebron, which means fellowship. And that's exactly what Caleb had with God as a young man going through the wilderness for them 40 years, just wandering, going nowhere, turning away from his heart's desire because he wanted to be in Canaan because of other people's rebellion. He didn't even want to be there. How on earth is he going to continue to live and wholly follow God through that? And then when he comes out, he's still as strong. When you and I go through stuff, It's, it can either strengthen us or weaken, mm. or weaken us. Mm. And it strengthened Caleb. Mm. And that's what I love about him. He's my favourite Bible character. Um, incredible guy. Yeah, Maybe that's your middle name, Pete. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, a, Caleb Dale. I'm actually looking at two things at the moment. I'm looking to, to write a book on Caleb, on his, on his middle life, his, his, his young life, for, you know, his young life for young men, um, is the part of his middle life, you know, the middle life crisis, the things that we go through uh, um, and drawing from Caleb. And then his old age, 80 odd year old. And I'm either looking at writing a book like that or doing a 30 day devotion. What a uh, brilliant idea. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, just, be, I'll be the first one to right, get a copy. Right, I'll load you to that one. <laughs> now, what about a favourite Bible verse? That's a tough question, I know. But, okay. um, is there like a life verse or a verse that you, you just cling on to in some form or fashion? Okay. Lots of verses over the years. Um, too many to mention, but I'm just going to mention one. In fact, I'm, I've got it here and I want to read it because um, it's Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 8. And it says these words, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. And I've, to be honest, we, we've traveled quite a lot over the years. Within me, I'd have been quite happy to settle in any place we've been and call it home. Castleford, Edinburgh, Dubai. I'd have been quite happy to settle. And for some reason, God in his wisdom and in his sovereignty has moved us on. And we, we have, we've, we've, we've travelled quite a bit. And so this verse to me has played a key, a key part. It's been really important that, you know, don't be afraid. I've gone before you. I know what I'm doing, just trust me. And as you follow me, you know, where, regarding my plan and my will, you will feel at home wherever I lead you. And that's exactly what's happened. And so yeah, Deuteronomy is a big book. It's a pivotal book. Um, but that verse in particular, you know, I'll never leave you. I'm, I'm never going to lie to you, Pete. I've, my plan for you is incredible. It's tailor-made for you. So I don't want you to be dismayed. Don't fear. Don't start trying to reason things out in your own mind. Just follow me and trust me. So that verse, Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, is, um, yeah, I've clung to that at times. And God's never failed and he never will. Yeah. 
That is amazing. And for those listening here, um, if you want to get into the book of Deuteronomy yourself, we've got a great study on it um, in the ministry. One of our precept upon precept studies will take you through that book of Deuteronomy. It is a fantastic, fantastic study. Pete, um, it's been a real privilege to hear your story, actually, um, and to hear of God's faithfulness to you. And I know it hasn't always been easy, but you have you have stood on the rock and we have seen that, Molly and I have seen that over the years that we've known you. And um, I think you are an example to many others of whatever the circumstances of life, that you can trust God. And even in the tough times, maybe he's teaching us stuff in the tough times that we need to know for what's ahead. And we've certainly seen that in, in your life and in, in uh, Ruth's life. So yeah. we, uh, I just want to finish by just pray that God continues to use you. Mm, thank you. Continues to bless you uh, in this new venture here in the Shetland Islands. Beautiful, beautiful islands. Never been here myself. And uh, that many people come to know the Lord Jesus as a result of your ministry. Amen to that. So thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to The Bible and Me podcast by Preset Ministries UK. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button now and consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry or make a donation, visit www.precept.org.uk or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at PreceptMinUK.